Running for president is not easy. It's the, probably the toughest, one of the toughest physical things a person can do. Is Trump going to peel his face off and you'll just see a lizard <laughs> there? Back to wow. the Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content. More conversation coming up after this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Another budget battle in Congress to keep the government open and fund our military. All this amidst more deadline drama in D.C. and the threat of a presidential veto, though he ultimately signed that budget bill. And this week, more drama at the White House. One of the president's lawyers stepping down with more controversy looming over Russia and other legal battles. The president announced Thursday he's replacing National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster with former Ambassador John Bolton. All of this happening as students take to the streets in protest this weekend, part of the March for Our Lives rally happening in Washington and at the State House here in Indiana, where school safety has been a hot topic in recent days, ahead of a special legislative session later this spring. A lot of ground to cover this week. Matt Smith joins us now with more. Matt? Students say they're hoping for a movement change, not only inside these walls, but the halls of Congress too. March for our lives. The Indianapolis rally, one of hundreds scheduled nationwide after the school shooting in Florida. I think this is gonna be a real moment of change in this country. We're rallying together and we're gonna make a statement that we've had enough. You need to come out here and to show your legislators that you want action. You don't want to be living in fear. The school walkouts a week ago, students say, were a warm-up. The state's top superintendent is praising their resolve. So finally you have a group and it took a group of students who said enough. And so I commend them. I just think the big push is to keep them safe. Lawmakers left scrambling last week, failing to pass a school safety bill that had widespread support. We need to finish the people's business. Governor Eric Holcomb making no excuse for it in announcing the special session. If we would have got our work done during the session, we wouldn't be here right now, but we didn't. Now, in May, Indiana lawmakers will be summoned back, urged to free up millions of dollars for Indiana schools for security upgrades. We need those funds, so... That's the other piece of it. The governor hopes the session will last just days at $30,000 a day per diem for lawmakers to return to work. It's just shameful and all they can do is blame each other. Whatever the cost is, um, is dwarfed by the cost of inaction. If approved, the money will be made available for an array of security measures. Some Indiana educators are taking matters into their own hands. All right, a few more seconds. Some staff and teachers in Delaware County underwent firearms training. The growing chorus of lawmakers are calling for arming teachers nationwide. Indiana State Superintendent, who's pushing lawmakers to approve the funds, lobbied against arming teachers. We lose our keys. For God's sake, I can't imagine trying to keep track of guns and how the ownership of where do you put them. And um, it, there's just so many layers to that that I, I think that's a really, really bad idea. All right, Matt Smith there with the latest. Matt, thanks. Talking more about this budget battle in Washington, this week we spoke with two Republican congressmen from Indiana who have to be running against each other in the race for U.S. Senate. 
They went separate ways on this budget vote. The budget includes $700 billion for defense spending, $2 billion for school safety measures, and $1.6 billion for the border wall. But left out is a plan to stabilize the individual health insurance markets, as well as a DACA fix for DREAMers. And again, the president threatened to veto that budget bill Friday, eventually signing it. This passed through the Republican-controlled Congress. So how do you approach this situation if you're an Indiana Republican on the ballot this election year? Here's what the candidates for U.S. Senate had to say. The commander-in-chief asked me to vote for today's spending bill so that we could support our troops. The legislation also enhances school security, makes a down payment on securing our nation's border. But I also share the, the president's concerns. Frankly, the Senate's broken rules make it too easy for the Democrats to have leverage in this process. We have got to change the rig system and the status quo in Washington, D.C. that's benefiting uh, the kind of people that said yes today. Now, Donald Trump and I wanted to defund sanctuary cities. These guys fund sanctuary cities. We wanted to defund Planned Parenthood because it kills innocent lives. Taxpayer dollars are still being used to fund Planned Parenthood. We wanted to continue to repeal Obamacare. It's funded in this bill. And Donald Trump and I wanted to still want to build the wall. And all we got was a few, few miles of fence, no concrete. This is an example of uh, what happens in D.C. You come down to the brink again. Uh, when I get to D.C., I'm going to hope, hope that I can weigh in in a way that you don't get down to the drama like this. But I would have voted against it because I'm a fiscal conservative. Listen, I'm laser focused on, on Joe Donnelly. This fall, we're going to be able, we're going to have to be able to take the case to Joe Donnelly and help Hoosiers understand that while Joe Donnelly talks kind of conservative back home in Indiana, the truth is he votes with Washington's liberal Democratic leadership 85% of the time, and I'm the right guy to take that case to Joe Donnelly and give Hoosiers a U.S. Senator that they deserve, somebody who votes with Hoosiers 100% of the time. I'm a true pro-Trump candidate, and Trump and President Trump needs allies in the Senate to get rid of this rigged system, to get rid of the status quo where lobbyists and, and Washington elites make money off the system. That has to stop. People have no doubt that President Trump puts America first, and I have always put Indiana first. I have always put the people of this state first, and that's exactly what I'm going to continue to do as the next U.S. Senator. Joe Donnelly must go. I'm a guy that's built my cred in the real world, the private sector, and I think government could learn from guys like me. Okay, Indy Star columnist Tim Swearens joins me now. Your thoughts on these candidates for the U.S. Senate for the GOP nomination and their take on this whole budget situation. It, it's, it's really interesting because Todd Rokit is trying to run as an outsider, even though he's been a member of Congress for a number of years. And he says he's aligning himself with the president, President Trump. But President Trump actually signed that legislation on Friday after, after threatening to veto it. Yes. That put Republicans in a confusing situation. It, it did. And, but a couple of hours after saying he was going, may, he may veto the bill, he signed it. Um, and, and, and the president ran into the same issue that members of Congress are running into, right? If you, if you take a stand and say no to this, the government shuts down. Right. We, can, we have this uh, continual cycle of crisis. You have to vote for this in, either, in order to fund the government. So between Messer and Rokita, who really did what the president wanted them to do? Good question. Uh, but, it's, but it's really interesting to run as an outsider when you've been a member of Congress for years. All right. Tim Swearens there. Uh, on this topic today. Speaking of the budget, we're also hearing this week from Congressman Andre Carson's office. They say they remain optimistic about federal funding for the Red Line project here in Indy. That project was not included in the president's proposed budget. Indigo's president was in Washington with other transit leaders this past week. 
strongly opposing these uh, proposed cuts. The budget that passed Congress does not specifically include the Red Line project, but it does include potential grant money that Indigo could apply for to help pay for the Red Line. We'll keep you posted. Up next, our panel joins us to discuss the president's wild week in Washington. Multiple controversies brewing. We'll talk about the Indiana impact. Plus, we'll hear from Speaker Brian Bosma on the governor's call for a special session next. All right, let's bring in more of our panel now. Tim is back along with Tony Samuel, vice chair of the Indiana Trump campaign in 2016, and Jennifer Wagner, the former communications director for the Indiana Democrats. Yet another wild week in the news. It seems like we've been saying that a lot lately. What do you make of the latest changes in the administration and the way the president is tackling some of the issues and investigations he's been dealing with? I think we see more of the same. We, we talk every week about the chaos and the instability inside this administration. I can't imagine, and I have some friends who work out there, what it is like to get up every day and go into the office wondering if that will be the last day that you work in the White House or in this administration. I will say I want to commend both parties, though, in, in Congress. I think we saw last Friday when the president grudgingly signed a budget that he really didn't get anything he wanted out of, that we saw both parties come together and do the right thing and negotiate and actually get something done, albeit with their backs up against a wall. But I think that was kind of refreshing to see that. Is this a president, Tony, uh, who, who wants more and more to do things his way and not be told how to do things in the White House? Yeah, and I think any president, any governor, any business leader would want that. I think the changes he's making and the things we're seeing, uh, I think things are coming along less chaotic than folks would, would think or, or, or would uh, uh, view. But look at the House Intelligence Committee has now ended the... Uh, Russian investigation. Some controversy over Some that. Controversy, Some Democrats, but, but Andre Carson, find, saying they didn't uh, find he any think they uh, any kind of collusion or anything case. like that. Uh, that's a good thing. He's made the change that he needs at the National Security Advisor with John Bolton, who uh, is going to be in line with his views, but doesn't agree with everything that the president says. But he needs that for stability going into talks with North Korea and other world affairs that are, you know, at a critical time right now. McMaster had always been described as a, a more of a moderating force on the president. Yes, and I think it's raising a lot of concerns of what John Bolton will bring to the equation, but, but it has been chaotic. And I think President Trump thrives on the chaos, but the question is, will the nation thrive and will others thrive uh, trying to work inside that chaotic atmosphere? I mean, we've saw, we saw the uh, national security advisor out but previously the secretary of state and the president's top economic advisor all in quick succession leaving the administration and as for this latest change in the administration hr mcmaster being replaced indiana senator joe donnelly had this to say about that move he said quote as president trump prepares to meet with north korea's kim jong-un in the coming months the president's decision to replace his national security advisor injects additional instability, as Donnelly put it, into a dangerous situation. He said, quote, I remain concerned the U.S. is approaching these talks without a full team on the field or clear objectives. It's very, very troubling. And I, I mean, the fact that we're even talking about a meeting with, with North Korea is also troubling. I think there's a lot of people out there who are worried. And I'm going to go back to what we saw last Friday on the budget stuff. You had the president on Twitter saying one thing. His advisors out there saying, no, he's going to sign it. And I think it sends some really mixed messages. I'm honestly not sure it matters who's advising him. He's going to do whatever the heck he wants to anyway. What about the Republican candidates for Senate, uh, who we heard from earlier, who are looking to replace Donnelly this year and their approach on, on various issues, trying to show their support? 
for President Trump. Yeah, I like it. You know, I'm, I'm one that uh, complained to a certain extent about Republicans during the campaign not being on board with their nominee uh, before the, the, the convention and after. It's good to see so many of these Republicans now coming on board, supporting the president. I will remind you that Todd Rokita was the one guy during the campaign that, that did so and has. Tony's uh, been reminding, the, yeah, reminding um, people about that lately, I, I, right? I do want to go back to the, the chaos. Uh, again, I want to say that uh, it's not chaotic if you're getting things done. And this president's gotten all kinds of things done, including what he wanted for military spending, $700 billion in, in military spending in this budget. That's a big win for, for, our, for our military. So folks. many different things happening in the news, and it, and it does get difficult, uh, doesn't it, Tim, for Republicans to know how to uh, toe the line on some of these controversies and some of the different positions it, 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 it does. Republicans have traditionally been free traders, for example. This, this past week, the president threatened a trade war with China, announced a severe tariffs on Chinese imports. That, we saw the Dow drop more than 700 points the, the day that those tariffs were announced. Uh, if you're a hog farmer in Indiana, you'd be very concerned about those tariffs. China on Friday said that they would they would uh, put retaliatory, retaliatory tariffs on imported pork. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot in play here, and, and because it's so chaotic, it's really hard for people who are trying to figure out, you know, what's the path forward? How do I react to and make my own decisions based on what the president is doing and what he wants? And it's very difficult, as we're seeing in the Senate race. I mean, Todd Rokita is saying, you know, I'm with the president. He voted against a bill that the president signed. All right, Rokita, Messer, obviously that Senate race continues to uh, be fascinating. And not only that Senate race, but along those lines, some interesting developments in Luke Messer's district with some of the Senate candidates now taking sides in that 6th district congressional primary for the seat Messer currently holds. Messer was out on the trail supporting the VP's brother, Greg Pence, with some signs the VP may be lining up in some ways with the Messer campaign. But this week we also saw this alliance emerge. Pence's opponent, Jonathan Lamb, now getting support on the campaign trail from former state rep Mike Braun. The two will appear together across the state next week. What do you guys uh, make of what's happening there in the 6th District with these two candidates? It's a little strange, I think, from, from Mike Braun's perspective, from Jonathan Lamb, it raises his uh, uh, profile, his name ID. But for Mark, Mike Braun, I think it's a mistake. Does and he do he's him any good? Maybe just to he's, paint himself as an outsider, uh, perhaps? I, I, yes, I guess so. But I think, you know, running against somebody with the name ID uh, of Greg Pence, who's a great guy, a Marine uh, a veteran, uh, a business owner, the brother of the vice president, I think it hurts Mike Braun. I love every minute of this. It's fascinating to me. It's fun to watch. It's your problem, Tony, because at the end of the day, whoever comes out, first of all, the sixth district primary, the Republicans are going to win that district almost certainly. But whoever comes out of the Senate primary, I don't care because Joe Donnelly's never changed his stripes. He's been there the whole time. He's been doing his job. He's common sense Joe. While these guys have been getting as far right as they possibly can and bear hugging the president, who may or may not be as popular as he was when he got elected here. We'll see how it all shakes out. All right, back here in Indiana, students filling the halls of the State House yesterday pushing for gun control and school safety measures. Of course, a school safety bill. One of the reasons lawmakers will be coming back to work in May with the governor ordering them back for a special session. You heard from the governor earlier this week. We also got to hear from House Speaker Brian Bosma, who talked about the special session, other bills that might come up, and the cost to taxpayers here. It'll just be critical issues that really need to be dealt with this year. Uh, and there should be some good reason why we have to do them. The tax bills all need to be done this year. And uh, um, so it'll be limited to those items that had a very focused and hopefully just a very short and efficient session. Let's just say it wasn't perfect. Uh, 
and we'll acknowledge that. So there were some distractions at the end of the session the last couple of days. Some legislators are saying they're going to donate their pay. Right. Is, do legislators get extra pay for special sessions? Yeah, if we have it session day, uh, each legislator will receive $173. It's in accordance with state and federal law. Uh, so I'm going to encourage our members uh, to contribute their uh, per diem. All right, two former state lawmakers joining Tim and I now, Republican Mike Murphy, Democrat Christina Hale. All right, so Speaker Bosma also challenged House Minority Leader Tony Gooden to donate his per diem. He says he will. And he challenged Democratic Party Chair John Zodi to make a charitable donation while also challenging our good friend Tim Swearens right here to do the same. Last I checked, Tim, you do not get a per diem. I don't, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I, I can show up at State House and they don't give me a check. Uh, but I will say that, you know, I met my deadline, unlike, the, the, like, unlike the speaker. Uh -huh. Well, I'll take you to lunch. I will buy your lunch. from your column last week uh, where you wrote, it's official, the General Assembly is incompetent. Harsh words, but I know this is a situation a lot of people have had their eye on and, and have felt strongly about. It, strong words. There are times when a columnist when you need to pound the table, and this was a pound the table moment. Uh, it, it's it's uh, inexcusable that we're having this special session on the heels of a session that they had plenty of time. Uh, not a full agenda by any means, and it was simple incompetence that we're now having, simple time mismanagement and incompetence that we're now having this You guys have both surfed in the legislature. How do you see this? Well, politicians certainly enjoy listening to themselves talk. Right, Mike? That's right. You know, we listen That's to you right. every week. Uh, there's certainly, I would add to that, there's I'm a great deal. <laughs> I do listen to you. I would add, though, there was a great deal of hubris, self congratulating, and, you know, a lot of speechifying that didn't really have to happen. The work of the people needs to get done. The school safety legislation truly needs to get done. It's so timely and important. It's, it's disappointing. That's one of the key bills they'll be focused on in the special would, session. I would say Bosman deserves some blame and some credit. He actually saved the day the last night because he was the one who recognized that a governor cannot sign a Senate motion. That could have caused lawsuits post-session, could have caused a hell of a mess. Now, he blames, it gets a little bit of blame because he's playing these games with donating your, your per diem. You know, Bosma's a wealthy Geist lawyer. It's a lot of these legislators don't have a lot of money. They're small town lawyers, they're farmers, they're retired teachers. $173 is a lot of money. Can they keep this thing to one or two days so there is not a, a, a big cost to taxpayers? They should be able to, but they should have been able to not, you know, to get the business done during the regular session and I have a special session. Once you open those doors, who knows what's going to happen. Honestly, I think they're scared straight. I think they appreciate the optics. They know an election's coming soon, yeah, and they, they dare not be anything but efficient. A lot of this was um, a mistake that the governor's office made trying to be good people. These, a lot of these ideas, like the school safety money, could have been moved around without a bill. But they wanted to get the legislature involved and help them get some credit for doing something on school safety after right. the Parkland, Florida. And the old saying, a good, no good D goes unpunished, the governor's office got burned. Keep an eye on the tax bills that are going to be right. discussed the in the special session. That. There are yeah. going to be some big winners in, the, in that legislation. Okay. The governor also signing some workforce bills this past weekend, making some staffing changes in that area. Meantime, state lawmakers also getting educated on sexual harassment. This past week, the governor signed House Bill 1309 into law. The bill requires all members of the General Assembly to take annual sexual harassment prevention classes. State agency heads, managers, and supervisors will have to complete additional training on top of that. I'm not aware of any issues that we have at this moment, but I want to make sure that it doesn't um, slip away from us and the attention uh, drifts. You know, you, you do hear stories about this sort of thing happening at the Statehouse, just as it does in, in many other walks of life, and now they're uh, trying to address it with some of this legislation.
They certainly are. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done. And I think with the confusion that was this session, it's just time to do business and be straight about it, make it the business of the people based on evidence and cut out the politics. I would just want to remind you that 99.9% .9 of the people who serve, Republican and Democrat, are good people doing a good job. This sexual harassment bill is meant for the rare occurrence, the rare outlier um, who doesn't have enough sense to behave. Over the years, it has not been so rare, and I think that's broadly acknowledged. So uh, it's, it's beyond time for this. I'm glad that they did it, and I'm glad that finally they're doing the business of the people. All right, up next, the president now facing a series of lawsuits involving some alleged illicit incidents in his past. We'll tell you about one Indiana connection after the break. Tonight on 60 Minutes, the long-awaited Stormy Daniels interview. I guess I'm not 100% sure on why you're doing this. You will see Anderson Cooper's interview with the adult film star who says she had an affair with the president, one he has denied, though his lawyer acknowledged paying Daniels $130,000 to remain silent. Now there's an ongoing legal battle about her decision to speak out. It's an interview you can watch tonight on CBS4 at 7 o'clock after the NCAA tournament. But Stormy Daniels, not the only woman who's coming forward this week. Were you in love with him? I was, yeah. Mm. And do you think he was in love with you? He was, yeah. His former playmate Karen McDougal, who, by the way, is originally from northwest Indiana. She says she sold her story to a tabloid in 2016, but the story never came out. Some reports the story uh, may have been squashed by people connected to then-candidate Donald Trump. We're back with this week's Winners and Losers after this. Time to wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Tony. My loser first is Joe Biden. Crazy Joe Biden threatened our, our president for the second time. And my winner is President Trump for his smackdown response in his tweet. But who would win in a fight? That's the question. Christina. Everyone who needs medical care here in Indiana are DACA students getting their um, MDs, nursing degrees. They're going to get to practice here. Governor signed that bill. This Two winners. Week. Charlotte Penns for an outstanding poised appearance on The View. And Joe Biden's another winner because the Washington Post checked with boxing uh, analysts and they said Biden win in two seconds. Oh, dear. Jennifer. So much Joe Biden talk. Uh, my uh, winner is actually bipartisan. It's Governor Holcomb for calling legislators back after they did not do the right thing at the end of the session. Tim. A porn star talking about the president on 60 Minutes. We've all lost. All right. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. podcast today we've decided that we're just going to talk about whatever it was we were talking about at the end of the actual show and that was the point you raised Tony about President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden in the news uh, this past week um, you know there's all this back and forth right about who would win in a fight and, and all of this silliness <laughs> but uh, setting the stage perhaps Trump for 2020 I know we're still talking about who would win and, and Mike Pence even weighed in and said he thought Trump would win but who would win at the ballot box 2020 is Joe Biden a viable candidate in this next election. He, he very well could be, but the thing about Donald Trump is he brings out the worst in his opponents. And, and, the, and Joe Biden, uh, strategically, I think was wrong to get in the dirt and challenge the president. Or in the boxing ring. Or in the boxing will. ring and challenge him. That's Donald, you're playing on Donald Trump's ground there. Jennifer, and didn't you once do a segment yeah, in this very was, studio <laughs> involving a boxing ring and politics? Yes, I was, was just was about Fox to bring that up. Fox 59 Face-Off? Face-off, yeah. And, and we were in election. actual boxing gloves in an actual boxing <laughs> ring, which I am told is still around here somewhere in a warehouse. Know. I have not seen it. I think we should break it we, back out, invite the uh, president, former vice president, let's have it out on this show. <laughs>
Did you get to wear a business suit? Or? Yeah, well, and here's the thing. So, Christina, they actually stopped doing that. I don't know if it was because I was pregnant, but it didn't look, the optics were not great to have a no, white Republican yeah. dude beating up on a, you know, like, pregnant. It, it just didn't work. It did it not work. It happens every day, right? Why not war on women. It would have been an actual war actually. on women. So that was 2012. Let's talk about 2020 again. Uh, in 2018, um, some people say, you know, how would Vice President, uh, former Vice President Biden have done in 2016? That's all speculative. Um, did he miss his best shot? He did miss his best shot. I mean, both these guys, first of all, it's hard to predict uh, two years out. But they both um, be they in both, their 70s, you know, late One's going to be 75, 76, 75? whatever yeah. the case may be. Um, Trump is would be 72, 73. Biden would, Biden would be 70. Biden would be 79. 70, 79. Trump would be 78, 79. 74. You don't know if they're both going to be alive, quite frankly. Okay, that's I mean that's the blunt truth. Or or just in Trump will be in position to <laughs> run for because he's yeah. yeah. full of plastic and clones running around. You saw Hillary running, and, and you saw her mental acuity and her you know steadiness deteriorate during the campaign. Running for president is not easy. It's the, probably the toughest, one of the toughest physical things a person can do. Is Trump going to peel his face off and you'll just see a lizard <laughs> there? Like back to wow. the too. Doc Brown pulled off his uh, oh, face. No, was I, I, I think, remember that? No, this is something, Christina, you can talk about and because of the initiative you're involved in. But like, we have an age problem in both parties. Our bench is old. And we need more young people, you know, and I think specifically the work that you're doing, Christina, to get more younger women involved in politics is really important. The leadership on the Democratic side in Congress is old, and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Well, they're, they're old, but they've got the power. There, there are folks in the Democrat Party, at least from the way I observe it, that want to be up in commerce, but Nancy Pelosi and, and Chuck Schumer and uh, Bernie Sanders, those types, but Joe Biden, that are really Sanders old. Also they, they, they play yeah. their cards I well. I do think the refresh button is going to be pushed within the next two years. There's going to be a change-up of leadership, I think, and it will kind of mirror what's happening in the broader world. We're going to have, you know, a retirement broadly happening yeah. in this country where people are going to go. We've seen and, that at yeah. the Indiana State I House. Think so, right. Exactly. So, I will, back to Joe Biden, though, I do want to say, if I had a nickel for every person who said, if Joe Biden was at the top of the Democrat ticket, I'd be lieutenant governor right now. You know, I, I, I might be buying a new, I might be buying a new pair of jeans. So yeah. when he wasn't running, people were saying that. But when he was, you know, being mentioned for it, all the talk about how he would, you know, the, the questionable things he would do when he's at photo ops or with women or girls or daughters or sisters or wives. Would that have been a factor I against Donald Trump? Well, but up, <laughs> yeah. The, the, but, but going back to that for the last time, uh, well, maybe not. We could talk about it all day. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. No time. The, limit I don't think yes. Biden will run in 2020. I think he still is going back and forth and would like to and likes the attention. But what's interesting is he has to keep going back to this uh, beating up on Trump, literally, uh, physically, to get attention. He really doesn't have much else he can say. On the Obama well, Biden while we record. joke about it, you legitimately thought that was too far of a yes, comment to it make. Was too yeah. far. And then you got others in the liberal liberal media that are uh, then uh, kind of showing their support for that kind of thing, and you just can't have that. I would say it went too far in a normal circumstance, but Trump goes too far every day, quite frankly, and his insults against women and people with disabilities and different ethnicities, and so. I think that the you know we're not living in normal times in this Twitter world of insults, you know you know the old saying Trump started it uh, and then everybody else has followed along. I think it's relatively true. You know Jeb Bush said um, during his uh, short campaign that you can't win the presidency with insults. Well, Trump 
Trump proved you can. Yeah, low so energy job. It shifted the whole dynamic of, of, of political discourse to a baser, baser level. So whether it's Biden or somebody else in 2020, does whoever runs against the president uh, go there or, or I take hope to not. A, it lacks maturity. I, I think you made a great point about this earlier. Like, why? Let's just step up our game, Republicans and Democrats, and have a little bit more maturity, grace, and civility. I, I agree, but, but you know, look at what John Oliver did uh, with a, a, a children's book, right? Everything in politics now is fair game. And a children's book that the vice president's daughter wrote uh, to uh, raise money for a human trafficking charity and for an art therapy charity suddenly becomes fair game to, you know, mock somebody else. And so it, 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 we, we're in an era where everything seems to be fair, and you know we, it's it's all out war all the time. And, and I hope we can step back from that. I'm not optimistic it's going to happen soon. Mike, you mentioned Charlotte Pence at the end of our broadcast on on TV, and a lot of people saying she really had a very classy response to all of this uh, this week because she actually went out and bought John Oliver's book because she said she appreciated some of the charities. Uh, that his book was going to. Uh, so there, there are ways in the midst of this back and forth war everyone's engaged in on Twitter to, uh, you, you can, to emerge you with can some You can rise class, above right? the base discourse and people of significant character like Charlotte Pence you know, know how to do that. But I think I want my president, whether it's a Republican or Democrat, to be aspirational. You know, to, to have us search for something higher. You know, as Ronald Reagan said, to be the city on the hill. And right now, the way our political discourse is, it's, it's not the city on the hill, it's the city in the sewer. No, I disagree. I think Trump is inspirational and aspirational and, and doing all kinds of things. Again, the $700 billion for the military, the, their largest pay increase in a decade, uh, you know, getting uh, the, the opioid crisis on a national scale front and center and, and, and getting $4, $4 billion uh, for, for that. All kinds of things that he's doing every day, including uh, dealing with problems around the world in North Korea. Now they're coming to the table. Again, Joe Biden started this, and then Trump counter counterpunched, and Trump gets the blame. But every time, if you look back at all of these uh, back and forth between Trump and somebody else, someone else took him on first and said something or did something very insulting, and then he knocked them down because he punches back harder, and then he gets the So how many of you think 2020 that it might be, indeed, Trump versus Biden? Anybody? No? I don't think, I think so. It'll be somebody think else? So. Yeah. It'll be somebody else for sure, the Democrats. Do you think it would be somebody else on the Republican sure. side? Well, I don't, I'm, I'm not a betting man in that way, but yeah. um, it could be. You just don't know what's going to happen talked with about primary else in the next two years. Yeah. You know, the, everybody keeps saying, you know, the Mueller investigation has been going on a year. No, it hasn't. The order was signed May 17th. It has not been a year. It's been nine or ten months. And the Watergate uh, investigation took more than two years. So I, I tell my friends on Facebook and other places, buckle up. This ride's just beginning. All right. And we'll be here to talk about it uh, every week here on In Focus and on the podcast In Focus on the go. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next week.